Hey guys, we're here today with Craig Hanley, CEO and founder of Listen Trust, a very call it innovative company, and he's just got it releasing his new book about hired to quit. So, very interesting story, very interesting man. I'm excited to have him on the show today. Craig, how are you? I am doing great. If I were any better, I'd be you. <laughs> True that. You'd be in Australia. But yeah. where was I've never been to Australia, but I, I I feel like I've been Australian in a past life. Like I really want to spend time in Australia. You've got you know, an Aussie vibe. You've got an Aussie vibe uh, to you. I do, yeah. Everybody I meet from Australia is like just big and you know, they just have a great character and I'm like that that's like family for me, you know? So I need to uh spend some time in Australia and get in some trouble out there. Speaking of family, what is your background? Um, my family background or my, my business background? Let's go both. Family background first. <laughs> um, dad was a state trooper. Mom stayed home. We, uh, you know, she used to have a fit. We had a fixed budget, so we'd get hot dogs one night. My mother used to make doughboys for dinner <laughs> um, with maple syrup and sugar. Talk about a healthy lifestyle. That sounds um, so bad, but so good. Yeah, well... It wasn't ramen noodles. It was a step above that. My dad was a, a police officer for 27 years. So, you know, but the salaries for a police officer is kind of like a school teacher. You know, it's not a lot of money. So, um, but I had both my parents in my life who were great, supportive, and, you know, a couple of brothers and a sister. And I was brought up, uh, and, and I always, you know, I call it the side hustle. Everything in my life, I didn't want a full-time job, but I wanted to make money. And I did have plenty of full-time jobs. You know, I used to work at this place called Rummel's Ice Cream. And not only would I make the ice cream, I actually pour the milk in and make the ice cream. But they had a baseball, um, a batting cage. I used to clean, shovel the balls back into the cage. I built the mini golf course that they had there. I painted the buildings. The owner of the thing owned a bunch of apartments. So I had to maintain the lawns and cut the trees and I mean, I, did, I worked hard, and then I had a paper route, a Sunday paper route, because the Sunday paper route actually paid better than doing the whole week. So I'd get up at 4 a.m. every Sunday morning and deliver these news, you know. And I, I won all these contests. Whenever it was time to get new subscribers, my paper route would triple in size. <laughs> you know, and, it was, and I, at Christmas, I used to bank at Christmas. People leave me five, $10 tips. I mean, I'd do so well. Once I thought somebody left me some candy, and I tried to eat it, but it was a, actually a bolt. It was a nut. That oh. wasn't a, a pleasant experience. A bit right now. Wow, that's not good. That's not candy. But um, but I used to, you know, being a paper boy, I'd collect the money. I'd submit the money. I was buying papers wholesale. You know, I had to. I learned a lot about business being a paper boy, and then being an entrepreneur, working at Rummel's Ice Cream, where you know I did all of those different jobs in order to make a living. When I got to college, well, even in high school, I learned about umpiring baseball and soccer, which is football where you are. And uh, I found out that an hour base, an hour soccer game paid $70 and an hour and a half baseball paid $70. And so I started figuring out how to side hustle my life. And uh, I started DJing and doing karaoke shows. And I guess I was a master of nothing. And you know, kind of doing a lot of everything. And, and I did the same thing when I went to college. 
So I made more money in college than most people would ever dream of making, working less than almost anybody. So did just you because consider yourself entrepreneurial at this time, or was it just a lot of side gigs? No, I just, I, I just, I wanted to do a lot. I think people always look at me and say, "How do you do so much?" I wrote a book. I've written albums. I opened for Coolio. I write viral <laughs> videos, and I'm okay. a company with a thousand employees. I've got a family. I mean, people are like, how do you fit everything in? And I, I think it's just been my life. I mean, I've never, you know, I, when I was in college, I worked at Little C I ran two, two Little Caesars pizzas, so I was the manager. But I also worked at a hotel doing the night audit, so I'd do my numbers from 11 to 1 a.m., and I'd sleep, and they'd ring a little bell if they wanted to check in, and then I'd sleep in the morning. I'd go to the gym, I'd go to my classes, then I'd umpire a baseball game or do a basketball game or a soccer game, and then I'd disc jockey on the weekend. So i get to meet all the girls. Hmm. You know, I could drink while I was DJing if I wanted to, nobody cared. Um, and I'd make money disc jockeying. I did weddings on Saturday or Sunday, too, during the day. And so I really filled, I mean, that's four or five jobs while going to college and working out and staying in shape. And, but that was, that was who I was. So it wasn't hard for me to slide into an entrepreneurial role and start running my own businesses because that's who I was almost all my life. Okay, so what were you studying in college? I studied music. I was a music major, of all things. Okay, so I was a vocal major, and I minored in piano. <laughs> so, so when I didn't graduate. Okay. When did that transition um, I, happen? Well, people, I was running out of money. I would have just doing when you when you go to college for music. A lot of times, the training to be a school teacher. I did, I'm proud to say I got accepted to Berkeley College of Music, but it was, you know, it was at the time, it was, you know, 1991 or 90, it was 29000 a year. Uh, I'm pretty determined. I couldn't afford to go, but I went in the Army Infantry because Army Infantry paid the most college money, and they gave me $750 a month to go to school, which basically paid my rent. It helped. didn't hurt. Um but it didn't pay for Berkeley College of Music. So I was going to, I went to UMA to take sightseeing and ear training and learned a little jazz. Then I was at this local University of Southern Maine and I learned operetta and some classical stuff. And But but it was, what's the difference between a dotted eighth note and a quarter note? And I'm like, it's a fraction of a second and I'm getting dinged. What does that matter if I want to be a rock star? It, it's, it only matters if I want to be a school teacher. And I'm like, and why am I taking algebra? And why English and history to be a music person? I don't need that crap. So I just got tired of the grind. And, and people said, you know what? You're a natural salesperson. Why don't you sell? And uh, I actually started going door to door selling insurance, which I did for two and a half years. And made a lot of money doing that. I was good at selling. Uh, then I went on the phones as a phone salesperson. And I was entrepreneurial, so I started writing my own scripts. I think I was the best copywriter in the country, in the world, for phone scripts. You know, a phone script that you could give to an agent, 50,000 agents on a phone, and you could show them how to read a script and improve performance. It's different than writing copy on the internet, you know? Yeah, very different. But I was really good. Yeah, I was really good at writing scripts that had no punctuation. Mm -hmm. I used arrows for uptones and arrows for downtones to teach uh, these agents how to speak and read a phone script in order to improve performance. 
and I used uh, a lot of different theories like Socratic method of a yes and uh, leading questions that generate yes responses and tie downs and I used all these tools to increase conversions and I made over $300,000 consulting and that's the money that I used to build my own call center. Oh wow. Being a and flipping into building my own center and it wasn't a lot. I mean, I remember building this call center early days of not being able to afford to go home from Mexico. You know, so it was a grind. Everything's been a grind. So was this all like a thought about process when you were getting into calls, when you were doing the call center stuff? Or was it? Uh, it was just life handed me knuckleballs and curveballs and fastballs and trying to figure out how to hit them. So when did you decide to make a call center? Because that's a big shift from I'm writing copy for people to I'm going to sell my own thing. Well, I was in the phone center as an agent. I mean, I was I was selling products on the phones. And then my own scripting, my own copy, I was better than everybody else in the center. So they were like, why don't you record, Why don't you take what you're saying on the phones and put it into a script? And so I did that, and it was refining that methodology that really kind of propelled me into other call centers by learning how to teach people how to use uptones and downtones and how to use first and third person in the same sentence in order to achieve a close. Um, all these different tools that I was really good at I started to figure out ways to teach other people how to do it. As I did that, somebody would leave and they'd build their own center and they'd say, hey, will you come work with us? And I started jumping around and next thing you know, I'm in California building a call center. I'm in Nebraska working with big call centers. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm all over the world, San Antonio, Miami, Erie, Pennsylvania. I'm all over the place building other people's centers. But I really knew if I wanted to make the biggest impact, at some point I'd have to build my own center. And so it was 13 years ago when we started Listen Trust, or at the time it was called Listen Up Espanol. And we had this crazy idea that, you know, there were a lot of call centers servicing English speakers. And there were soft offer centers, which were sales centers versus order-taking call centers. And we said, we're going to do a soft offer center for the Spanish market. There's no call centers that are out there doing that. And so I wanted to go to a place where nobody had ever worked in a call center. And so we went to Hermosillo, Mexico, where they were just a couple of Telcel type centers. And I trained everybody from scratch on sales process. And we started taking phone calls. And in six months, we started to see some success. And within three years, we had 7,000% growth. We went from zero to over 15 million in billings over 150 million in sales within three years is and, that sales uh, for center or was that sales that the centers have generated sales that the call center generated on behalf of our clients it was over 150 million in product sales what we then would bill our clients is around 15 million so 10 percent of that was what we would kind of bill them and our profit was probably 10 percent of that you know i mean it's yeah but we were making a million dollars you know which is okay and uh we thought we had a lot of upside and I, I mean, we've sustained kind of that. We've sustained that level for uh, 13 years. I don't, I mean, we haven't really surpassed that. We've been really good at restarting and turnarounds because business has fallen off and come back and changed the culture of, of people buying on TV has shifted to the internet. So we've had to shift our business to follow suit, but we've, you know, we've done okay uh, over the years and, and in the process, I think, one of the most important things to me is we've had thousands of employees and we've we've changed their lives 
with uh, our culture our, that's getting to and the our point, core values. The real point of this call yeah. and the call point of your book is the culture and everything that you put into it. Can you explain a little bit more about the culture that's embedded into Listen Trust? Sure. Now, we, we started just wanting to put core values in. We heard Tony Shea talk at Zappos, and we heard you know Janet Atwood talk about the passion test and finding your passions. And we were at an event that was all about corporate culture. And Google does their campus, and you know we're hearing all these different culture stories, and we're like, let's bring culture to Mexico. And nobody in Mexico ever really cared about their employees. It was a culture where when we first were here, the HR person that was going to hire people for me said, don't worry, we're not going to hire any gays or men with earrings. And I'm like, you can't say that. And by the way, I have a lot of friends who wear earrings or are gay, and, and I love them. And they're great salespeople. They're sometimes, because of all the – because of all the uh, they, they've had to fight sometimes for their individuality. So sometimes they're, they're better salespeople than anybody else on the planet, you know, because they've – They've had to fight and they've had to stand out and stand up for who they are. I'm like, let's not let's not be that type of company. I said, I want to be a different type of company. So we've had to really mold into a culture that accepts everybody and believes in everybody. And, you know, it was a shift right from the beginning of, of saying we're going to do things for our employees. And nobody really understood it. Like people are like, you're the owner. Why are you talking to us? I'm like, because I want to because I care and I want to know what you guys need in order to be happier. Um, and we did a lot of different things. We built our first uh, core values. It was a long process of going through that. And then we built, um, basically we said, these are our core values. What are the markers? What are different markers that indicate we're living our core values? Um, and so our first group of core values were things like go beyond ourselves, which is all about giving back and doing charity. And the markers were that we were going to donate, you know, a quarter of a million dollars a year to charity. When we're doing that, we're living our values. So how do we do that? Live life like an extreme sport. For us, that meant go all out, 100% effort, 100% heart, have fun while you're doing it, be positive and fun. And so we had some pretty unique values. Uh, and then we said, you know what, let's really make an impact. We're going to give away a car every two months. And so that was kind of – we wanted everybody to believe – that we were serious about our core values. And we were. And so we gave away six automobiles one year, big barbecues and pulling out tickets and giving away the cars. And uh, it was fun. It was crazy. It was exciting. And we did all these cool things. And over the years, we said, you know, first of all, live life like an extreme sport. It could mean something to one person, something different to somebody else. So we thought through our values and we said we need to really make sure our values have the definition within them. So our value of live life like an extreme sport today is be positive and fun and give 100% effort, 100% heart, you know, because that is what those two values are. Um, have each other's back. Have a desire to improve. Um, we, it used to be called grow brain cells, which I think is cool, but now it's called possess a desire to improve. Uh, do what you say. You know, we always believe in committed action. Um, keep an open mind. So those are our values today, and they've morphed from things that, like I was asking somebody, what do you think um, go beyond ourselves means? And they said, to do more, you know, in a day than you really should do. I'm like, you mean work harder? He goes, yeah. I said, oh. So the core value that means charity to you means work harder. Oh, great. we gotta we got to make sure we work on our <laughs> definition. 
<clears throat> so once we get those values down, I want to talk about Dream Trust. I was going in and doing, I actually came to Mexico and I was doing the tra some trainings myself because we were moving into English from Spanish. So I was training all the, all the first English speakers I was going to train them myself. And I trained them. And then I noticed once they were on the phones for a couple of weeks that I kind of needed to train them again because they weren't listening as close as I thought they were. They got most of it. But once they started doing live calls, then they were like, oh, can we do that? They were like asking me, can we go through the training again? I'm like, how do I get people to pay more attention to the training? And so we started looking at, and we've always routed calls based on performance. So I started showing them that the more calls they get, the more money they're going to make. And I said, what if we flipped this and flipped it into a, a model where they don't work for us, we work for them. And it, we'll talk about, let's sell them on living their own dreams. Let's sell them on doing their own thing. I don't want people to live my dream. I want them to live their own dream. If they want to be a dancer or a chef, I don't think anybody came you know, into this world thinking they wanted to work in a call center answering phone calls all their life. How many 11-year-old kids are running around the house with a headset pretending like they're customer service? Be the strangest thing ever <laughs> Yeah, there aren't any. So I started asking people about what their dreams are. And do they know what happiness is? And there's an age group right now where people feel like they're entitled to be happy. And it's not like that. You have to learn to be happy. You have to learn what it takes to be happy. So I kind of said, well, let's put this Dream Trust program together. We're going to come up with six pillars that are the pillars for happiness, you know, which are health is a pillar. Um, managing your money is a pillar. Um, relationships are a pillar. Time off is a pillar. What do you want to do with your time off? You want to do a great white shark dive, go to Disney World. What are your dreams? You know, both personal, professional, and dreams for your family. And so we started going through these pillars and we said, what does your life look like, you know, on your 100th birthday? If you look back, what did you do? Did you do all the things you wanted to do? And most people can, can say, no, I didn't. And I said, well, what if we – you have to have a plan to live a dream life. You have to have a plan to learn how to be happy. So we started talking about their dreams, and then we started training them on happiness. And we said, you know what? Let's go in with a model where we're going to train people to live their dreams. We're going to hire coaches that are going to help with their finances. They're going to work with the banks to help them get homes and cars. And they're also going to be, you know, professional consultants and basically a psychologist in order to help people work through what their dreams are and how to achieve their dreams. And so we hired a couple people to help run this Dream Trust program. And we started finding out, having people make a list of what their dreams are. And we started teaching classes every month. We, we talk about a different pillar, whether it's health, wealth, um, spirituality, time off, whatever these pillars are, relationships. We started training a full month on each pillar, and we rotate the pillars. But when you get hired by us, the first thing I say is, welcome, listen, trust. The more you learn about our core values and put into action our sales process, the quicker you can quit. Why? Because we route calls to you based on how good you serve our clients. So if your dream is to do something other than this, you're going to make more money if you go through and pay attention to the sales training and do a great job for my customers. If you're doing a great job for my customers, you'll get more calls. You'll make more money on every call. 
and you'll be able to quit. Some some of you will be able to quit within three months because you'll have a base of income that'll help you get to your goals faster so you can try to do the thing that you've always dreamed about doing. So that's a little bit about Dream Trust and why the book is called Hired to Quit, Inspired to Stay, is because the first thing I tell them is, welcome, listen, trust. Hopefully you learn all of the things we have to share with you and you can quit and do what you really want to do really quickly. Okay. And we teach them about Facebook advertising and we teach them about making a website. We teach them all these things that have nothing to do with taking a phone call. Also, they can quit. From an altruistic kind of point of view, that looks sounds amazing, and you'd have an awesome culture. How does it affect the business? Our employees are happy to show up to work. They are feel privileged to have the jobs. I can tell you that it's counterintuitive to a lot of strategies. So initially, I think anybody who heard the plan was like, "But our best people are going to quit." My COO, who had been with me for ten years bought a golf course and quit because his dream was to own a golf course. And he said, you inspired me to quit. Thank you. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> That's not how I want to work. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of him. I'm so happy for him. I, I can't believe he did it. You know, I love that, I, that this company inspired him to do what he dreamed of doing. He shouldn't be my COO. He should be living a dream life. And guess what? Now he is. He's working in his golf course and playing golf and driving his golf carts and he's he's you know he's making a living in the golf world, which is what he's always wanted to do. And I'm like so proud of him, even though it's hurt to lose him. You know, it, it's exactly what we wanted. He's a perfect example. But a lot of the people that are here, their dreams are to buy a house or a car. And it's focused more on happiness, and their dreams are to go to Disney World. And, you know, by continuing to work here, they're able to accomplish the dreams that they have much quicker than working anywhere else. So it actually lowered our turnover, and we, when we recruit, people can't wait to work here. I mean, they will leave every other place they are, and they'll come here. And once somebody's been here for six months, our agents who have been here for around six months are the highest recruited agents in all of Hermosillo, Mexico. So they go to a car dealership to sell cars. They're the top car salesman day one. They are selling more cars than anybody else on the lot over a month's time. And their pictures are taken and put in the papers, salesman of the month for Toyota. All of our guys are the best salespeople. They go for life insurance companies and they go work at other places that need salespeople and they excel. They go to other call centers and they're immediately moved into management. They know more about running call centers than any other call center in Hermosillo. And so our, our tier two people are recruited to run call centers all over the place. My tier one people don't go. They won't go anywhere, but they're they're really committed to the company. So pretty funny. Our tier two people get offered you know, 150% pay raises because that's all people want is listen, trust employees in their own building. <laughs> so counterintuitively, it's improved retention kind of culture that's in the area. Yeah, initially, I mean, I also pay people to quit. I give them two weeks salary to quit through the training, which is something I took from Zappos, who does this. Zappos pays people like a month's salary. I'm in Mexico. I gave them two weeks salary to quit at the end of the training. After we train them on our culture, our core values, and our sales training, at the end of their first couple of weeks, we say, okay, if this isn't for you, here's two weeks pay. You can go away. And uh, initially, that was something we were all worried about, too. But 
hardly anybody leaves. A few people do, and I guess that's a good thing because our clients only get agents who are really committed to protecting their brand. That's amazing. That's really amazing. Okay, so... A little counterintuitive. We're a little crazy, but it works. Tell us about the book. What is, what's in the book? Is it this whole story? What, what will people learn? What are the main takeaways? Uh, there's, there's basically two topics. I mean, there's a little bit more to it than that, but I talk about having a part, business partnership. I talk about some of the things that happen, but the two highlighted things that we talk about are turnarounds and really restarts. You know, we've done, we've had years where we've made a couple of million and then the next year, it hasn't been for a full year, but we typically have six month periods where we've done really well and then something happens and for six months we're trying to recover. Then we do well, and then we're trying to recover. We've become really good at restarts. And I think every business will go through it where they make money and then they lose money. And what do you do when you're losing money? And what are the mistakes they made in order to put them in that position? And I was really, I really was transparent. And I don't think a lot of people expect you to talk about all the ways that you failed. But I openly talk about all the screw-ups we've had and all the disasters and then I really give people exactly what we did to turn it around. Even like there's some strategies that, for example, we were running out of cash. I took all of my vendors, like my long distance carrier and my platform carrier and all these carriers. And I said, guess what? The last three months that I'm behind on bills, I'm not going to pay you. I'm going to pay you currently moving forward and I'll pay that off as I gain revenue. But I can't afford to pay you. I need that money for cash flow. What a lot of businesses don't understand is is cash flow is like oxygen. And the bigger you get, I mean, I need $300,000 a week to make payroll, you know? I mean, to cover my expenses, it's like 300 grand. So if I don't make 300 grand, if I make 250, I'm losing oxygen. 50,000 a week is a fast way to burn through cash, right? So you've got to really focus on all these different things. And what do you do when those things happen and how do you fix it? And uh, one of my strategies was, well, there's a lot of vendors that you're going to owe money to when you start losing cash. And instead of battling with those vendors to pay them, take that million dollars or that half million dollars, put it in your bank account, and tell your vendors they'll get paid when they get paid. And you can't go like with vendors for them not to shut you off. You have to tell them you're not going to get any further in debt. So you start paying your current bills and then your back bill is cash flow and you actually start paying off your back bills as your as your cash situation improves. We've never not paid a vendor, but we've had to find creative ways to work with our cash flow because at some point, like one at one point my uh, my CFO hadn't booked any expenses. We thought we had six hundred thousand in the bank, but he had two American Express cards, one for me and one for my partner, which was over four hundred thousand, and he had called it personal debt, like I was gonna pay it back. And I wasn't. It was expenses. And then he hadn't booked expenses and he hadn't done receivables. So all of our clients paying us were over 90 days out. We had over $2 million in receivables that we hadn't collected. And we were in a turnaround. We didn't have any cash. We weren't going to make payroll. But yet we got all this money out there. And we, I'm like, what do you mean? Holy cow, you know? <laughs> and so once we booked everything, we didn't have any money. So we were operating as if we were up here. But we were down here with our revenue. And uh, 
and we had to go through strategies in order to fix things, you know, and one of those strategies was, well, we need cash because we can collect this $2 million, but we can't collect it tomorrow and we don't have any cash. So we took the cash that we owed all of our vendors, popped it in the bank, you know, and said, we're going to pay you guys when we collect the cash. And we started making phone calls to our clients. Hey, we need that money. We need that money. You're 90 days out. Send us your money. And we took us about three months to flip the ship again. And and that's what we did, you know. But there's so many things that have happened on the on the restart side that would crush most people that we've learned how to sail right through. I mean, it's it's it is what it is. We figured out all the ways that you could pretty much keep your if you've had any success. The rules that are in the restart chapters will show you exactly how to keep, you know, get your business back in line, back in a positive direction, and doing the things that needs to do to make cash again, make money again. So that's really a big part of the book. And the second part is the dream trust that I talked about. So th those are the two primary things. And then there's some other stuff in there like operating in an international culture. Um, it took me four or five years to learn how to operate in Mexico with that culture that's here, you know, um, where family comes first. At one point I was paying a little bit more in commissions and people wouldn't show up to work because I was paying too much. So there's a balance between rewarding the people that want to be rewarded and, uh, and, and paying too high of a salary. So I had to back the salaries down and increase commissions. So I wanted to pay a higher rate than anybody else in Mexico because I want to reward the people that are there, but a lot of the salaries, I, I had gone too high and people just wouldn't show up. I'm like, well, that's crazy because they want to spend time with family. In America, we would work, man. We would want to work, but here they want, Different oh, well, I'm making enough money. I only have to work three days a week <laughs> and they wouldn't show up. And I'm like, oh. So I, I had to restart my comp plan five or six times, you know, to get the right comp plan. And I'm sure the same is in any culture, Philippines, you know, um, India, uh, China, Vietnam, wherever you can open a business, you've got to figure out what works within the culture. And I had a lot of experience in doing that. So I put that into a chapter. Uh, partnerships, I've had a business partner for a long time. And and, uh, and so I wanted to make sure I talked about how we, you know, how do you have a good business partner? Because a lot of people struggle with that. So there are a couple other things in there that I think were helpful. But those are the, the two primary topics of restarts and uh, culture. How do you find yourself challenged these days? How do I find myself challenged? How do you find new challenges? How do you grow? Oh, God. I, I mean, I, I'm looking at uh, a ton of things. Um, I want to bring Dream Trust out to the masses. I want other companies across the world to hire their employees and train them to quit. So I want to start doing more speaking. Uh, I'm a musician. I just wrote a couple of new songs. I want to put out a new album. Um, I write viral videos. I, I'm pretty good at my brain is broken in some ways. It's fixed in most ways, but but I think of ways to write music and tell stories that most people are like, how did you write that? How did you think of that? Uh, and I could do it in like three to five hours where most people think it takes me three to five weeks to write a song. I do it in like three to five hours. And so I'm blessed with the ability to rhyme to bring a cadence together in a song and a story. And I tell stories in the music that is actually supporting a brand and will create eyeball views. And so I, I want to, there's a business around that, you know, around, around writing viral videos for people. Um, I, I could find challenges no matter where. I mean, I, I love to dig in and work and do new things. 
yeah, you sound like the kind of guy who needs to be doing something. So I was curious about how you're growing now that Tris Trust is in a place where it's not as rocky as it was in the past. Well, I'm challenged right now with a book launch. I mean, I need to make sure <laughs> that my message gets out there. That's another challenge. What are all the things I've got to do? You know, i got to contact a lot of people. i got to beg, borrow, and plead for them to mail for me, to, you know, do a podcast with me, to, to uh, you know, to support me. And I haven't asked for a lot of help over the years. And so uh, I'm excited to, you know, to ask for help and, and try to get it done. On that note, where can people find the book? It's on Amazon, Hired to Quit. Um, pre-sales have started, like last Thursday, I started doing pre-sales. It'll go live on the 16th of October, uh, so they can find it on Amazon. It's in both Spanish and English. I can't own a company in Mexico and not have released it in Spanish as well, so that took a little extra time. Um, and you can get both uh, you know, a hard copy of the book or the Kindle version, which I think people want. I'll be doing the audio recording this month, so I'll get that done for the audio version. Um, I'll have somebody do a Spanish audio version because my Spanish is terrible. <laughs> After 13 years, it's embarrassing that I can't speak Spanish, but it is. So uh, I'll have an audio version done in Spanish. Brilliant. And uh, get all those things. So, yeah. And if people want to connect with you and learn more about Mr. Craig Handley... What's the best place uh, you know what? I put, I put my information right in the book, but I'm Craig at Listen Trust. Um, easy on email. I'm Craig Handley on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm easy to find on social. I'm a big, bold personality. People say I'm like an elephant. I walk loud. So uh, I'm not that hard to find. Love it. All right, guys. Until the next episode, go and check Craig's book out. Pre-ordered. I've got myself. It is a brilliant red book. It looks amazing. Until next time, we'll see you all on the next episode. Cool. Thank you.